championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I am your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Darius Terrell, as always. You guys listen to the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform out there. Go ahead and give us a follow, give us a rating, give us a review, and let us know what you think of us. Today we're going to be talking about Steve Sarkeesian finally filling out his staff. We'll talk about who we think the strongest hires are on each side of the ball, where we have question marks, and what exactly we're supposed to expect out of Kwiatkowski's new defense. Let's go ahead and get right into this, Darius. We have now the completed staff of Steve Sarkeesian, his first staff at Texas. And really, it's a strong staff compared to every staff we've had at Texas over the past decade, including the ones that coaches who brought in just started and their final staffs. Oh, yeah. So people, if you look around the message boards and stuff, people will talk about the past with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman. The term you see a lot uh, is comfort hires. If you look at the staff, well, um, Sarkeesian brought (laughs) the quarterback coach, the tight end coach, the offensive line coach from Alabama. They're comfort hires, just like the other coaches were. But the difference is (laughs) they're coaches from Alabama and won national championships compared to the coaches coming from uh, Louisville and coaches coming from, you know, that have never coached at a power five level coming from the University of Houston. So it's just a big difference. It's a different ball game. And then when you bring in guys like, and we'll talk about later on, like guys that have come from the NFL and with NFL experience, when you add that to the equation as well, it's pretty exciting. Compared to other staffs um, over the past past two hires, it's not really comparable. But, um, yeah, let's get into it. Hold on, I'm trying to find Charlie Strong's first. Uh, oh, shit, off the top of my head, I got um, you. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, 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 Sean Watson. Uh, 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 Johnson. Chris Rumpf. The running backs coach. Tommy Robinson. Tommy Robinson, USC. What's the receivers coach, Kenning? Yeah, Kenning. <laughs> Terrible. Tight end coach, don't tell me. Was it Wareheim? No, that's not Wareheim. No, 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 no. Tight ends, tight ends. Charlie Strong, Charlie Strong. Damn, I don't remember the – I don't remember the – Bruce. Oh, Chambers was still there? Damn, Bruce. Bruce Chambers. Terrible. Terrible coach. Brian Jean-Marie. Jean, Jean-Marie's solid recruiter. Was linebackers. Chris Vaughn. Chris Vaughn got in trouble. Chris Vance Rump. Bedford. Chris Rump is a good coach. Vance Bedford. And Joe Wickline. So, you look at that. Joe Wickline was supposedly supposed to be a good hire. You had some good staff there. But really, it was more a question of who is actually – above and beyond. Joe Wickline was the only guy who Texas fans were excited about because of what he had done at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. But still, there were some really low-floor guys in that staff. And then you look at Tom Herman's first staff, uh, which was 20, the 2017 staff, but you had Stan Drayton, Oscar Giles, Corby Meekins, Drew Maringer, uh, Chris Nivar, Todd Orlando, Derek Wareheim, Jason Washington, and Yancey McKnight. The majority of those guys don't have P5 experience or they weren't retained like Drew Maringer. And Stan Drayton was basically the only guy who was a good hire in that staff. And it's why he's made it through now two staffs. You're looking at those staffs compared to the staff that was just put together for Texas. And the difference is night and day in terms of the amount of talent that they supposedly have, the amount of experience that they have, and 
the general ability to recruit. It's just above and beyond what Tom Herman brought in and what Charlie Strong was allowed to bring in. Uh, was it allowed to bring in or was capable of bringing in? Both, probably. Okay. Yeah, like you said, these these names are, are very exciting on paper. The part now is we have to see how well they mesh together with each other, which I would imagine wouldn't be shouldn't be too tough of a transition. But what I worry about, not just with players, but I worry about it with coaches as well, Will. I think sometimes folks get to Texas and feel like, you know, they've made it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting paid more than they've ever been paid in their life. <laughs> They um they've got access to stuff they've never had you know never had you're living good man you're living good it's easy to get complacent and right um, but then you're also looking at these coaches coming from Alabama and the NFL and well ex- exactly but that's just kind of my point Alabama's a different it's a different atmosphere you know what I'm saying Nick Saban is um you know and the NFL is a different atmosphere it's, you know you're kind of it's not a college type of deal you know you're on your own you're growing. Um, you're working with grown men and stuff like that. But at Texas, you know, everything, you know, you're, you're in this barbecue. Just keep Austin weird. It's, you know, 6th Street. It's a lot of stuff going on. It's just it's a lot of good. You got Lake Travis. <laughs> you got some nice some nice golf country clubs out here, man. It's just we talk about players getting distracted, but I think sometimes coaches come in and get a little bit distracted too. We'll see. We'll see. I think a lot of these coaches have been to some pretty nice places and have been in some pretty big situations before. And it's been a talking point. Again, it's a talking point, not something we've actually seen, which is that this is more of an opportunity than it is the last stop, the destination. That's the idea that Steve Sarkeesian is rolling around with. We'll see if it actually happens, because at this point, you're not taking anybody's word for it. But let's go ahead and take a look at this offensive side of the ball that was put together. And it's actually a pretty strong staff on paper. You have... Your quarterback coach, A.J. Milwee, we've talked about him. It seems like he's more of a figurehead for Steve Sarkeesian, sort of his eyes on the ground and in the sky at practice and at the game. And Steve Sarkeesian, just like Lincoln Riley, is the guy who's in charge of the quarterbacks in that room. He's his protege. Exactly. But unlike Maringer, who was Tom Perman's protege, this seems to be a guy who is knows he's a figurehead, and we know he's a figurehead. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian has said that he's going to be in charge of the offense, he's going to be in charge of the quarterbacks and the play calling. A.J. Milwee is going to be the guy who's basically putting it into practice. Yeah, so he's going to be the quarterback's coach. Sarkeesian's the guy that's designing the offense. He's the one telling everybody how he wants everything exactly run. But Milwee is going to be the guy in the quarterback room with the quarterbacks, okay? He's Sarkeesian's extension of himself when he's not around. And like you said, Millery is pretty much he. Even though Kyle Flood is the one with the uh, co-offensive coordinator title, Millery is really the one with the prior experience, uh, having done it. I believe it was six or seven years at Akron as offensive coordinator. He's really the guy that's using this opportunity at Texas over the next two to three years to earn himself a bigger offensive coordinator opportunity um, at a different Power Five. So Millery is the guy that in the future to keep an eye on as a potential hot name moving forward if Texas has the success we anticipate them having moving forward. And we need to touch on, too, with him as a recruiter, Will. Yeah, he's very much an unknown. Nobody knows what he is as a recruiter. That's fair. And it's been reported that he's not that much of a recruiter. He's more of a guy who sits on the whiteboard and is able to draw up and understand the offense and really knows his X's and O's. Not so much known as a guy who builds relationships and can recruit. But, but yeah, he's gonna. He's at the University of Texas. He's gonna have 
But he's going to get his chance. We're going to see. Even though we do know that um, Sarkeesian, Banks, they're going to do most of the heavy lifting. Milwee's going to have an opportunity at some point in my to show what he can do out there on the recruiting trail. I'm, I'm interested right. to see what role he plays in, um, you know, the Quinn Ewers recruitment or the 2022 class in general. I'm interested. I Well, I think he's mainly going to be a guy who, when you bring a recruit on the campus, that's when he's best because he can put them in a film room and say, here's where you are, here's what we're going to run, and stuff like that, and able to talk to them through the eyes of film and X's and O's rather than, you know, trying to be Jeff Banks. Right. All right. How well can he sell the philosophy of the offense? How well can he sell how he can use them and develop them? Um, how right. can he, yeah? So I mean, I guess who who goes on his ledger? Who's on his track record? Does he get Mac Jones? Mac Jones counts. Goes on his uh, uh on his no. resume. No. That's Sarkeesian. So he's still you know he's still a very at this point unproven both ways. But we know that Nick Saban was high on him to have hired him from Akron in the first place, and then Sarkeesian has called him his right hand guy. Um, during the press conference, he brought him with him. So Milwee is a guy that, you know, again, he's a guy that we should all be – we're all watching with a bit of a – Interest. You no, know, yeah, interest, curiosity. He's a little bit of a mystery guy. Yeah. Hey, he needs to he needs to go ahead and let that hair go too, man. You seen them pictures? <laughs> I've seen those pictures. Yeah. They're, he needs a new haircut. <laughs> I'm sure he's perfectly fine with it, thinking it's, it's easily manageable. But, yeah, he could use a haircut. <laughs> Stan Drayton's the next guy. He's a well-known figure, so I don't think we have to talk about him. Andre Coleman's also a guy well, who's hold on, a known. Hold on. Stan, Drayton. Stan Drayton is the best running backs coach in the Big 12. Stan Drayton is a nationally respected and recognized coach. Stan Drayton was a – got to give Herman credit. was a home run hire. I don't know why it was so much Herman or just University of Texas in general, the opportunity. But talk about the in-game rotations as much as you will. But um, as far as being a guy that can recruit and has shown has a, has a track record of developing guys, and B. John Robinson is also going to go um, on that soon. Stan Drayton is about as good as it gets across the country. Mm-hmm. You can compare his career, his 20-year, 25-year career, to pretty much anybody in the college game. Yeah, I agree. Andre Coleman is a guy who, again, is another well-known name, or I guess supposedly well-known name. However, I don't think he really got a fair shot under Tom Herman. He was yeah. a guy who was basically – the figurehead at the wide receiver position as Tom Herman had his hands in that room. I'm interested to see what he can do with a full year of recruiting and with the ability to build relationships that he does. And that's the reason he was fought for by the players and this parents to keep instead of going with a guy who like the wide receivers coach at Kansas or another guy out there. Jimmy Jones. Yeah, who was rumored to be up for that position. So we'll see, you know, Andre Coleman, them hanging out with him. I That's a bit of a question mark for me in that hire. But I'm interested to see, and I think he could what do you potentially mean when you say be a question guy. question mark for you? Like, as in, you're not sure about it? You thought they could do better? Or. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a bad hire. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad hire, but it's not like a great hire, like what they had other places on this coaching staff. He's not like an A plus hire. But he's also not like a C minus. I'd say he's around B. He's pretty much status quo and and standard. I'm interested to see how he is as a developer because I don't think he's had that. I think if he can prove it, he's a developer. He goes up into the A range. But we're, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. As far as a developer, and we're talking about Andre Coleman. Um, out first off, I was like you. I was a little bit surprised. I was surprised he ended up being retained. We heard about um. Um, Alabama wide receivers coach Holman Wiggins being a, a, a candidate. And then you talked about Emmett Jones. 
Um, we, you heard about um, Texas offering uh, Oklahoma wide receiver coach Dennis Simmons the position as well. And they offered him a lot of money. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's, it's out there that Coleman wasn't the first choice. Like, well, yeah, no doubt, like you said, they offered him what? They were offering, like, twice twice the salary that Oklahoma was paying, right? And uh, Rumored, anyway, we can't – that's that's what reports are. But um, with Andre Coleman, he, Will, he does get credit at, um, at Kansas State. He does get credit for developing Tyler Lockett. Okay, Tyler Lockett, mm-hmm. um, he's in a, a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Andre Coleman, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, even as a – he's – how often can a guy – tell players that I've scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Andre Coleman's been, you know, where these guys, he's, he's played professionally. Um, he's coached. He's got guys. I mean, I think he's a guy that even though, like you mentioned, he's probably on paper, he's the quote unquote weakest link on paper. But I also think he's a guy that has a chance to really, really improve his reputation and what people think of him over these next couple of years. We talked about the 2022 class and uh, Armani Winfield, who's one of the top receivers committed. And then, we, you know, Evan Stewart may or may not be leaning Texas's way now. So I think you might we might see Andre Coleman start to spread his wings a little bit and flex his muscles with better with a better staff around him around him than the situation he was in um, last year under under Herman in that situation. So, um, no, like you said, I was surprised he was retained. But at the same time, there are a lot of people vouching for him behind the scenes. So he could be a guy that we talk about later on and say, you know, man, it's really a great thing that he kept him because Andre Coleman's a beast. Yeah, yeah, like what I was thinking about Oscar Giles a few years ago, and then he brings in two five stars, and wow, and he can develop. Yeah, I could definitely see Andre Coleman developing into that type of a coach. Mm-hmm. However, you're talking about Evan Stewart, so we got to bring up Jeff Banks, the guy who is in charge or partially in charge of that recruitment and just in general is a great recruiter, not just on the recruiting trail, but also brought in Kwiatkowski, from Washington. He's the reason Kwiatkowski left Washington. In an interview with The Athletic, Kwiatkowski said that Jeff Banks was the first guy out of the staff to reach out to him and really bring up the possibility of joining Texas. So kudos to Jeff Banks for all the recruits he's probably going to bring in, but that was a really, really big commitment that he pulled in with Kwiatkowski. As a tight ends coach, he's exactly what you want. And Darius, would you say he's the strongest hire on the staff on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, so, I mean, as a coach, um, Jeff Banks gets credit for developing Irv Smith at Alabama. He's had a hand in that O.J. Howard deal. On top of that, he's also recognized at this point he's established himself over the last three to four years as one of, if not the best special teams coach in the country. Um, on top of that, he is clearly, without a question, he, he was Alabama's muscle in the state of Texas um, over these last three to four years there with the Crimson Tide. He was there at, at, um, at Texas A&M. Jeff Banks is a stud. Okay, that's he's a heck of a hire. And um, <laughs> I I'm, I'm, remember there, there was a time when we thought he wasn't coming. And uh, for Texas to get that guy on board, um, that's a – A-plus hire. A-plus plus. A-plus plus hire. It's just, Jeff Banks yeah. is a home run, grand slam. Um, I can't say enough good things about him. What's nice to see about the staff, and we were talking about at the beginning, is – the staffs before, when Tom Herman came in and Charlie Strong came in, they were told, you have a blank check. Go out and get who you want. They went out and got guys who they are comfortable with. Steve Sarkeesian went out and got the best available. Yes, Jeff Banks is a guy he's comfortable with, but he went after guys who he didn't really know and on the defense side of the ball as well and on the offensive side of the ball, like the wide receivers coach for Oklahoma. And he said, you know, he went and got his paycheck and he gave Jeff Banks a million dollars a year to come to Texas. 
and an associate head coach title as well. So he used his blank check, which is something that Tom Herman did not do and something that Charlie Strong did not do. At the same time, I don't think, like I said, Charlie Strong didn't have the same. You got to remember, Sarkeesian's got some weight um, behind his name. He's um, It's just a different ball game. It's a different ball game. Yeah. He's been pretty much generally, uh, from everywhere I've heard, when people I've heard talk about him, um, he's been – the whole situation at USC, that's pretty much that's generally universally accepted as a it's water under the bridge now. He's viewed as one of the brightest young minds in the game. And again, this could end up being just the perfect time for himself and the perfect time for Texas for this to have happened. We've seen the people talk about you've seen the the talk about the big check and being the Joneses um will, but we're starting to actually see some muscle get flexed and I'm I'm trying not I'm I'm trying to keep myself from from buying in too much because I'm just, you know, We've, I feel mm-hmm. like we've been, Understand. we've been full before, but um, it's looking good so far. But what about yeah. Kyle Flood? Yeah, Kyle Flood is a guy who I was looking forward to keeping Chris Ash because I was hoping you'd have two former Rutgers head coaches on the staff as coordinators. That would have been fun just for me. But Kyle Flood, yes, he developed well at Alabama, but you also have to question: okay, is it always you always have to question: is it Alabama talent or is it the coaching talent? Sometimes it's a mixture of both. But Kyle Flood, you can look at his career, his emergence and working his way through the ranks at Rutgers and the offensive lines there, his work in the offensive lines at with the Falcons, and the reason that Steve Sarkeesian brought him with him to Alabama. Mm-hmm. He is a guy who is well-recognized, even in Alabama circles, as a good coach, as a good developer of offensive line. And something that has been... Really nice, a really nice change between this staff and staffs that have been built before in the past decade is Alabama fans are really upset to see him go. <laughs> Very upset to see him go. Him, Jeff Banks, and even A.J. Milwee. It's nice to see staffs built of guys who the other teams that you're taking them from are pissed off that you're taking him. This is all I have to say about Kyle Flood. As the head coach at Rutgers... He had a winning record. He took Rutgers to a bowl game and and I think won the freaking bowl game. So he might be the best coach in college football as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like that's so I'm all in on Kyle Flood. You got a guy that you can send in to any offensive line recruits um living room in the country and you got a chance. And um you got a guy with NFL experience, college power five head coaching experience. Success at the highest level. Again, looking at the Big Twelve outside of Oklahoma's Bill Beaton Beatonball Beatonball Beatonball. I can't remember how to say his name. I can. I've been told it a million times. I still can't. I think it's Beatonball. But outside of Beatonball, I think Flus got to be in. The, in the, he's got to be considered the second best offensive line coach in the in the um, in the conference, and with a chance to um, go even higher, depending on the product put out on the field. And he's got some nice pieces to work with. So, give me a rating for this offensive staff on a scale of what you could tell me give me a grade as a prediction grade for how this staff is going to do under steve sarkeesian what would it be on the hires or based on like on paper what was put together or what i think are the expectations of what i think they're going to do let's go with on paper the hires and your expectations of of how they're going to do in recruiting okay on paper before anything's been done just excitement level as far as the names and what they've done their track record and what we think they're going to do this is a it's it's an a offensively it's an a it's an a 
I mean, think about the continuity that's coming over from Alabama. One is Sarkeesian's offense, but he's got the quarterback's coach, he's got the old line coach, he's got the tight ends coach. Everybody's speaking the same language. A running backs coach, you know, it doesn't take any time for them. They're not hell. Running backs the easiest one out of all of them to learn as a player and and the coach. Um, wide receivers, Coleman's gonna have his work cut out, but will he's got he's been given a golden opportunity. I, I think I think we can agree that he's gonna put his best effort forward, his best foot forward. Yeah, to rewrite his coaching career. Yeah, the continuity on it, and then just the pedigree of the guys that are there that he brought in: Banks, Flood, again, Drayton. Um, that's an A. It could have been mm-hmm. an A plus if you would have got a guy like Simmons from Oklahoma, though. Yeah, I agree. So then you have to look at the other side of the ball, and really, this is one of the more important parts of this entire coaching search: was getting the guy who was going to be across from Steve Sarkeesian, across from Kyle Flood. The guys who will be manning that defense and leading that defense from the box and from the ground. And when we talked last time, we talked about Pete Golding, Zach Arnett, and maybe even Pruitt. Kwiatkowski wasn't one of those names that we mentioned. However, while we didn't talk about his name, we did mention the basic tenets of his defense as ones that Steve Sarkeesian was looking for, being controlling the opponent's run game, limited explosive plays, and maintaining schematic versatility. Basically being attacking in your face and scheming for different opponents. That's what Steve Sarkeesian was looking for, and that's what Kwiatkowski brings. But the reason we didn't mention his name is because at the time, he was a pie-in-the-sky type hire, a thought, an idea. He was up there with names like Brett Venables coming to Texas or trying to bring in Sean McVay as an offensive coordinator or all of those jokes, right? Going after a guy who was basically ungettable. It's like asking an 11-win head coach to leave their job to be a position coach, right? Oh, wait. Still, probably the most exciting hire on the staff, right? His name was never, it was never a part of the circulation of the, of the five or six names that we were hearing. He's a guy that I well, I admit I I I noticed being a being a draft nerd and you know lover as I am. I, I knew that Washington was putting a lot of guys in the NFL defensively, but not once that I ever asked um, who the defensive coordinator was. Right. And why that is is because he's not a guy that's he's never been front and center on, on anything like that. He spent his entire time coaching at Boise State and at Washington. He hasn't he's been on the in the Pacific Northwest his entire career and. You know, there were, no, there were no real ties to Sarkeesian. He wasn't at Washington when Sarkeesian was there. So it was such a, a pleasant surprise. And then once you take a, a deep look at what he's done during his time over the past nearly decade as a defensive coordinator, it is it's phenomenal. And he's a guy that in the Pac-12, we know he's seen multiple um, offenses. He's seen high-flying offenses like we have here in the Big 12. Um, I said earlier in the podcast, 2018, it was actually 2016 where they uh, Washington made the appearance in the playoffs, Final Four, and played Alabama and held the Crimson Tide to 17 points, even though they lost that game. That was Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. So um, he 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 mentioned part of the reason he was coming down here was he was ready for a new challenge. He's excited about being at Texas, being able to go up against these high-flying Big 12 offenses. Um, we're going to see him be multiple here at Texas, and with the talent that he'll be at his that will be at his disposal, um, here in Austin, I am. Um, this is excited as I've been about Texas football probably since I've left. It's probably in the past decade, since, since 2010, 2011. It's, it's impressive. It's exciting. Yeah. I mean, it was such a coup to get him. And really, kudos to Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian for bringing him in and Christo Conte as well because 
them being able to keep the hire quiet stopped Washington from being able to, one, stop it with a counteroffer. And when you read the paper, you listen to interviews up Northwest, you hear there might have been some turmoil in the Washington program after this past year between him and Jimmy Lake. So it just seems like it was a perfect time to go out and try him and then on top of it, keep it quiet enough and on the down low so that it was a surprise to pretty much everybody when TFP heard it. It was still a surprise and we couldn't even let it out because they were very adamant on making sure that this stays under wraps like it did with a bunch of other coaches that Texas hired where at one o'clock at night, you're like, oh, Texas just apparently got this guy. It was signed. Kudos on that front to being able to work for a week to bring in this guy and keep it down low enough to actually do it. I've read an article, Will, where a, um, an anonymous Pac-12 offensive coordinator or coach said that Pete Kwiatkowski was, is without a question the best coach on the West Coast. He said, yeah, Alex Grinch at Oklahoma is pretty good, but he said he couldn't hold – he said he can't hold Coach Case shock. So I can't wait for this year's Red River shootout. Yeah, Kwiatkowski is pretty highly thought of, and given the talent he's going to have at Texas – there at least is a high probability of immediate success. It's going to be interesting to see how he is able to introduce this new offense, which has a lot of versatility and a lot of schemes. See how good of a coach he actually is, because he's going to have a lot of guys who are very, very well versed in defenses. I mean, they've now done three defenses. This will be the third defense in three years. Mm -hmm. And you're giving talent like Josh Thompson, like everybody who have on that defensive line, Demari Van Overshow and Jawan Mitchell's coming back. You have Deshaun Jamison coming back. The only place where you really have some question marks is that safety room. So there's going to be some high expectations for Kwiatkowski. And there's a possibility, the probability that he's able to actually succeed because as we've seen with every defensive coordinator that's come in through Texas, as long as they have guys who are veterans, they usually do pretty well. It also makes me think uh, about what it means exactly with him coming here, you know, Texas hired a guy who is specifically suited for taking on the sooner spread attack for taking on the spread attack that has proliferated throughout the college landscape, including the running attacks and the passing attacks. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I can't, I can't wait to see his stuff in action here at Texas. And um, especially with the type of talent available to him. You're right. I, you know, especially with the type of talent that's available to him, that's something that's got me wondering I wonder how Kwiatkowski will do with the access to the greater pool of talent. You know, one of the biggest benefits of his defense, that 2-4-5 that we keep on hearing about, is it allowed a wider number of players to be recruited since elite and well-rounded line of scrimmage players are harder to find than almost any other position. Now that he has the ability to bring in guys like Jatavian Sanders or Josh or Joseph Osai or, and those type of players, I'm interested to see what he does with his schemes. If he sticks around with that 2 4 5 or he pulls a Shaka Smart, where Shaka Smart, you know, you don't really have to level the playing field anymore because you had the superior talent, you know, like what you had to do with Havoc. And now what you have to do with 2 4 5 schemes because you have access to getting that big and athletic guy to make the defenses work. And so with the access to better talent, again, I'm wondering if they stick with that style, if they stick with that 2 4 5, or if they go down to something 
more like three thirty five or even four down linemen at times. And I've seen that happen with Kwiatkowski. I know he has the ability to be very multiple and flexible with his defense, but I'm wondering, you know, what's the percentage between actually using that two four five versus the four down guys? Um, it's just going to depend each week. I think each week is going to tweak the scheme depending on who they're playing against. When you play teams like Texas Tech, I think you'll see fewer down linemen and more guys to rush the quarterback, to rush the passer, um, situations like that. But when you play teams like Oklahoma State that want to run the ball, like Iowa State that want to run the ball, I think you'll see Texas out there with um, in more of a yeah more of a traditional you know three three five look or 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 four two five look. But um yeah he'll be multiple and I think I don't think he'll give Texas fans I mean much reason at all to question whatever he decide, whatever he decides to do regardless of it's a one five five or a two four five or four three <laughs> it won't matter um as long as they're getting right. stops it, it won't matter we won't care right and he's supposedly one of the best out there right so you know he's smart enough to know how to craft his defense to the strengths of the roster and the program absolutely. So another thing that's going to be interesting is what we're expecting to see out of this defense with the staff that he's put together. You know, how will will Kwiatkowski, Jeff Choate, who is the co-defensive coordinator, and Terry Joseph be deploying this defense is something I'm interested in watching because I I want to see how this defensive staff gels together. You've taken a lot of parts, and, and that's kind of what you're looking at in Terry Joseph. Terry Joseph was brought in basically to be the many Clark Lee who is coming off of Mike Elko. So taking the defense that you saw at Notre Dame this past year and trying to take parts of that specifically defending the RPO pass and run from the secondary and taking it and marrying it with what Kwiatkowski does and with his front seven. I'm interested in seeing those two ideas mesh because when it comes to Kwiatkowski's defense and how he usually uses his defense, it's a one high safety. He usually uses that one high, which means he uses cover three zone or cover one man to achieve this. And with the specific strategic goal that he can control the line of scrimmage by bringing up another defensive back to the line of scrimmage and either using him to stop vertical attacks by spreading him out wide over top of wide receivers or just helping the run game by bringing him as an extra guy in the box, allowing for that flexibility mid-game depending on, again, what that offense is trying to do. A side note, it's pretty funny that Kwiatkowski is the coach because in Sarkeesian's Nike clinic, he kind of ridiculed cover three as being too easy to beat. So I'm interested in, in hearing his thoughts on this cover three as a base. But also that's probably why he brought in Terry Joseph to come in because Terry Joseph comes from a you know guy who uses mostly quarters coverage and, and a high, you know, too high safety, which is the pro of that being able to split the field in a half. So you can run two different coverages to do two different sides, which is a common tactic used against trips. I'm interested to see how these two and all actually all of these defensive minds mesh. There's going to be a lot of X's and O's that are going to be interesting to watch, especially in the spring game and going forward that is going to give us a tell of how and what is going on behind the scenes on the chalkboards in the Texas locker room. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be interesting to see, but um, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's gonna be, it's still gonna be Kwiatkowski's defense. I'm interested to see how guys like Anthony Cook, Chris Adamora use because they just spent the whole year adding weight, trying to become basically right. mini linebackers. I'm interested to see if a guy like Deshaun Jameson ever gets moved to the nickel inside to cover the slot. Like I feel like he can do, but we've never seen him get the opportunity to do. 
Um, I wonder when you start talking about one high coverage, I wonder if that allows a guy like Tyler Owens maybe to get more playing time than he has seen because he can cover so much ground. But part of playing cover one is as a safety, you need that guy to have some instincts. And I think Owens might lack in that area a little bit. But yeah, there are questions at safety um, that immediately come to mind. Um, there are questions that who brings the pass rush from the end spot that immediately come to mind. And it'll just it'll be interesting to see what he come what they come up with to fulfill those areas since there's not an immediate answer that stands out obviously on paper. Well, do you want to go over the positions of this defense, what we can see in each one of these, and where we can see players, or do you want to go over the staff first? No, I'll finish talking about the staff. All right, then let's go ahead and take a look at the staff because it's a pretty solid staff. I don't think it's as solid as you look on the other side of the ball, but it's still pretty damn solid. You have Bo Davis as your defensive line coach. Not only is he a good line coach, but he is a great recruiter. I mean, it's not his first time here at Texas. He has been in charge of some really, really good recruitments and lines during his time as a coach. Sean Robinson, Marcel Darius. Who's the guy that's out there um, right now? Quentin Williams. All right. Like he <laughs> – Jonathan Allen, <laughs> Jaron Reed, like Malcolm Brown at Texas. Okay. Right. Like, no, you know, it's no question. Um, similar almost to Jeff Banks on the offensive side. Bo Davis is a hell of a coach, and he is a tremendous recruiter. He's an A-plus-plus Grand Slam hire along the defensive line, coming from the freaking Detroit Lions in the NFL. And he's a right. guy that coached at North Shore. He played um, defensive tackle at LSU, so he's got Louisiana ties as well. He's the guy that got to Shiro Davis to Texas way back when. Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Yeah, but he still went. My, my point was he went into – he went in the freaking Louisiana and took a top-rated player out of there. The LSU yeah. won it. That doesn't happen, um, yeah, yeah. even though. But um, making making fun. Yeah, no, I get you. But um, Bo Davis is is that's a that's an A plus plus high right there. Yeah, and he's probably going to be used in the recruitment game to get guys that. Hello, Bukowski Bear wants. Alexander. What's up? I said hello, Bear Alexander. Hello, Cooper, R.J. Cooper. Yeah, he's going to be a guy who not only is responsible for that defensive line position and getting those guys, but probably he's going to be used with Jeff Banks in getting guys that Kwiatkowski wants or maybe even Steve Sarkeesian wants uh, along the offensive line and using him as a multiple recruiter, not just defensive line, although he's probably going to get the defensive lineman he wants most of the time but also as a guy who can go out and say, hey, to a linebacker, you want to come to Texas. Mm-hmm. Speaking of linebackers, Jeff Choate as your inside linebacker. Choate. Bringing a head coach, an 11-4 head coach, even though it's from D1AA, to be a position coach, basically. Yeah, I know he's co-defensive coordinator, but he's a position coach. He's probably going to be like Terry Joseph is the defensive pass game coordinator. He's probably going to be the defensive run game coordinator for Texas. But that is a hell of a hire, especially considering what the other option was in Mike Stoops. Hold on real quick. Did you know Bo Davis was also there when at UTSA? And he's he's responsible for Marcus Davenport going in the first round. I did not know that. What the hell? But all right, I'm sorry. Back to Choke. Well, Mike Stoops first. Give me your thoughts on that whole Mike Stoops stuff. Mike Stoops. <laughs> um, I think we saw that Steve Sarkeesian is still kind of new to the state of Texas, and um, he's not super familiar with, you know, how could he be with the history of the Texas-Oklahoma rivalry and the intricacies of that and the 
the role that the Stoops family plays in that. You know, Bob Stoops is a great coach. Much respect to him. But um, Mike Stoops, no, I, I understand they were they were friends. He developed a relationship at Alabama. Kudos to him for being able to step back and listen. Sure. Jeff Choate compared to Mike Stoops, in my opinion, is not a comparison. The second Mike Stoops would have arrived for the first offseason workout at Texas, Jawan Mitchell and Marvin Overshawn would have hit the transfer portal. So that would have been the issue right there first off. You'd have to replace both of your linebackers, and it was, it's not because of the NFL draft. No, I'm, I'm glad that that didn't happen. I think uh, I speak for a lot of Longhorn followers when I say that I rejoiced when I saw that that was reversed. Yeah. And Mike Stoops has made like $15 million in his career coaching. He'll be okay. Yeah, it was just interesting because Steve Sarkeesian was told no back when he wanted to be a co-defensive coordinator. And Cristo Conte, apparently he had a relationship with Mike Stoops that he built when he was at TCU and at Arizona on the West Coast. So he kind of had a blind spot there for Mike Stoops. It really, I guess, as you're right, speaks to how new those two guys are to all of this. At Texas. Crystal Conte seems like he's been here forever, but it's only, what, three years? You think that would be enough time to understand it, but it just kind of slipped through the cracks, I guess. And once again, we're seeing who's really in charge. Right. Yeah, you know, but it, again, we were talking about last show making sure that you extend that honeymoon. Making sure you extend that honeymoon so you can build relationships and make friends. Hiring Mike Stoops was spending a lot of political capital and making that honeymoon a lot, potentially a lot shorter. You know, even then, it's it kind of makes people question. It's your first question about Steve Sarkeesian watching him go after Mike Stoops. Now, we can either see that as a red flag of things to come or maybe a possible misstep due to not being aware of the climate here at Texas. We'll see going down the line, but... Man, that was that was certainly one way to to start to put the brakes on your honeymoon. Oh, but wow. Jeff Choate, Jeff Choate, like you said, a guy who has succeeded where he's gone and coached under Kwiatkowski is a guy. I guess it's nice to have a guy that Kwiatkowski has actually worked with in the past, so he can speak the same language to one guy on the staff and have that guy understand and be able to explain it. Maybe another way to another coach so that you guys are in agreement on that defensive side of the ball. It's easier to gel together as a staff. Like you mentioned, Choate and Coach K have some um, have some ties together. Choate has experience at the big time. He coached at Florida. He's been the head coach in Montana State where he's won a lot of games. There's no question that he's going to be a guy that's able to um, – him and, him and Coach Kwiatkowski are going to be speaking the same language. Again, we can only we talk about Sarkeesian and how the cohesion and continuity that he was bringing over from Alabama offensively. In a way, he's bringing a, a little bit of that to the defensive side with a guy like Jeff Cho, who's familiar with Coach K. Coaching defensive line, Bo Davis is kind of similar, in my opinion, to coaching running backs. Will you know those guys play? You know, in the, the day, it's not that hard. Get to your you know talent and strength that that takes over. Um, those linebackers though, and that that back seven, it's gonna be it's gonna be important to get them on the same page, like you mentioned with Terry Joseph and James like that. But um. Jeff Choate is a is a is a A from a on field coaching standpoint. Um, it remains to be seen um, um, what he can do on the recruiting trail. But again, he's never been in a situation like he has been here at Texas. Going to the secondary and looking at the secondary, that's where the question marks are because Terry Joseph 
it's a question mark whether or not he is a good developer. Yes, he's had one guy, Kyle Hamilton, who was a highly rated guy, bring him in and develop him. However, it's still to be seen that that's just Kyle Hamilton and a one-shot, or he's able to replicate that. He's able to bring in, he's supposedly a, a decent recruiter. He's coached at Texas A&M, so he understands the area. He's recruited the area before. Mm-hmm. However, you know, it remains to be seen what goes on with him as a recruiter in Texas and as a developer at Texas. I think he's going to do well. To reiterate, the reason he's brought in is to be mini Clark Lee and bring in that Notre Dame philosophy of that defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep comparing it kind of to Milwee. He's a guy that's going to get to spend one to two to three years under one of the better defensive minds in the country um, in Coach K, and he'll he'll get to um, learn and – He's a guy that wants to be a defensive coordinator. Will he wants a guy? He's a guy that wants to move up and climb the ladder over the next few years. This is a springboard opportunity for him. His performance, he's coaching for that here at Texas, and that's exciting because think about it. Will uh, what's Jason Washington wasn't coaching for no defensive coordinator position here at Texas. It's a different ball game. It's a different caliber of a person, football guy that's that's in here right now in the program. And again, it just yeah. it hasn't been like this in so long. And probably we'll end off here, the staffs, with one of the weaker hires, but it's still a pretty strong hire, and Blake Gideon as the safeties coach. And notice that Terry Joseph is the secondaries coach, and then Blake Gideon is the safeties coach. So Terry Joseph is still over Blake Gideon mm-hmm. in terms of as a coach. But Blake Gideon probably brought in due to his father and being the guy who brings the relationship with those Texas high school football coaches to Texas. That was what... Tom Herman did with Meekins and all those guys. Charlie Strong did it with Jeff Trailer. Here you have with Blake Gideon, a guy who can get you the oh-so-important stamp of approval from Texas high school football coaches. Yeah, like you mentioned, Blake Gideon's dad is a, was a, is a prominent head football coach, longtime head football coach in the state. He played at Texas. He was a four-year starter, and Blake Gideon was a two-star recruit, so he's got that whole thing going for him from a, hey, I'm recruiting guys that I believed in you when nobody did. Hey, nobody believed in me when I was there. He knows the state. I'm sure he still – He it's not that long ago from him when he was on campus, so look, hell, well, he still knows, probably knows all the hot spots to go to and everything, where to, um, where to even take folks on during the recruiting trips and stuff. It's exciting for him, man, just because – even though he doesn't really have a whole lot of responsibility from a title standpoint, he can't be but probably, what, 31 or 32 years old. And right now he's he's in a prime position to, again, we talk about the guys here on this staff with an opportunity to to springboard their careers. And um, I'm excited for Blake. He was a heck of a safety here at Texas despite having some physical limitations. Again, he was a four-year starter. Had a cup of tea at the NFL level. He's going to get the most out of the guys that they have here. Again, guys on this Texas roster that have 10 times more athletic ability than he ever did. So just imagine if he can instill that mental part of the game that he had into those guys. Let's go ahead and change gears here and take a look at the different positions on the defense here. Mm -hmm. What exactly Texas needs for each of these positions and where the guys currently on the roster might fit into these positions. So we'll start off with this defensive line. Who is – in your opinion, going to be those two guys, if we're talking about two, four, five, the two, four, five offense, who are the two guys that you're pairing together for this defense? Because when you look at the defensive line, you're looking for guys who are strong enough to anchor the interior, adequate mobility, and can slant, because there's a lot of movement up front in this defensive line. 
Yeah, so it was real simple. Um, again, Danny Shelton, Vita Vea, come to mind. Big, six two to six four, three hundred and thirty, three hundred and fifty pound guys. That's Keandre Coburn. He's gonna play one of those positions. Alfred Collins, as a freshman, six six, three hundred and five pounds. He's a freak. Okay, he's gonna play that that other defensive tackle position, that under tackle spot. Quickowski has never he hasn't had anything like Alfred Collins to work with during this time. Yeah. So I'm 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 excited to see that. So off the bat, those two guys, Coburn and Collins, and then right behind them when you have um Sweat and um Sawyer Gordon Welch. You have Sweat and Gordon Welch, and I think possibly a guy like Murphy could play as a freshman. Um you got Vernon, Vernon Burton. Broughton. Yeah, so um you've got bodies, but no Coburn, Coburn and Collins, Coburn, Collins and Sweat in a three man rotation right there is easy. Yeah, I think that's an easy position to say who's going to be in that because Texas has an embarrassment of riches in that position. The Jack Rush linebacker is the next position that you have, and it's pretty much the Jack that you saw Joseph Osai run. Mm-hmm. It's essentially an outside linebacker, defensive end hybrid position that's classified as a linebacker. The most important role of this position is to provide an edge rush. So who do you think is the guy? You have guys on this roster like Prince Dorba, Bimit, Marcus Bimich is coming back. Reese Laytow. You have Ray Thornton coming in. You have Jet Bush. Who do you think is the guy or guys who you are expecting to see in the stand-up rusher position? Uh, I'm, I'm remembering last year's Alamo Bowl game. Texas went down to a four-down front. Um, Marquez Bimich's get-off was impressive. I hadn't seen anything like it all year. Um, I know he didn't play this past year, but if he's back and slammed down a little bit, I remember he got up to his biggest, about 270. If he's down to around 255 and that 250 to 255 range, I think he's a prom candidate to be that Jack this season for Texas. Um, Reese Laytow is going to be in the conversation as well. Um, Ray Thornton will get a chance, even though um, he was never a starter at LSU. He'll get a chance to make an impact here and earn some playing time at that spot. Prince Dorba, I've recently saw Prince Dorba about a week and a half ago. I'm concerned. I don't Prince Dorba just I don't think he's heavy enough. I don't think he'll be able to anchor against the run. Um, playing defensive end, and um, with all due respect to Jet Bush, um, Jet Bush is a great story. I don't think Jet Bush is a guy that should be starting at Texas if Texas is going to be competing for Big Twelve championships. Yeah, I agree. I think Marcus Bemidge is your guy, and the Reese Laytow after that, and then we'll see what else. I think I think they should still be checking that 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 um portal that portal wire. I agree. There's probably going to be somebody who slips through, and Texas can go out and grab him. The next position we have is the X, the Will linebacker. Uh, much more similar to a 4-3 linebacker guy with more emphasis on the ability to cover and be more agile, smaller guy. Who are you expecting to be in that position there? I have two names myself. I think Jalen Ford and David Benda. No, you said that needs to be the most athletic. That needs to be an athletic linebacker with the ability to cover and handle the seams. That's easily the Marvin Overson. No, because – I had DeMarvin Overshone as a guy who would be in the Mike linebacker. Mm-hmm. And the Mike linebacker's responsibility being an emphasis on more pass coverage role, similar to what you see in the Tampa 2. Athleticism to drop into coverage on a consistent basis, and he must be able to cover a significant amount of ground quickly. That's 100% DeMarvin Overshone. That screams DeMarvin Overshone. They're not going to have four linebackers on the field. You're not going to have Jalen Ford, DeMarvin Overshone, Jawan Mitchell, and David Bender on the field at the same time. So I don't even think it matters. But any situation where you have a linebacker, you need to have him on that tight end side. You're facing Alabama. They're not playing Alabama this year. They're playing Arkansas, what's to call it. But when they face teams with talented tight ends or big bodies like Oklahoma, like you use those big body tight ends in the slot, a wide receiver, 
Overshawn is going to always be that guy that you're asking to cover. We don't know. I don't, I, we don't know enough still about Jalen Ford and what he can do as far as coverage. Same thing with Benda, even though he looked a lot better this year as a player than he did a year ago as a, as a true freshman. Um, but anything involving coverage, anything involving coverage, it's gonna, it's, the conversation is going to always start with, with Overshawn. And that's why I think he's best used as a Mike, who's the guy who is meant to cover. I don't think we can go with concrete definitions for what – based off the old defense, though. Right, but right. Even though I get well, the exercise. The dimebacker is the next linebacker out there, and that is – that's your traditional middle linebacker role. That is your Ray Lewis. That is your Brian Erlacher, your guy who is not so much used these days, but that's why you have four linebackers. You have the you have the Mike in this defense, who's the guy who can go back, and the Dimes, the guy who can stuff run stuff up front. Sort of your Mike Rose, what you saw at Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, you're talking traditional. You're talking middle linebacker, the man in the middle, the thumper, the um, in between the tackles, bringing the hard hat. That's Juwan Mitchell. Yeah, um, I agree. A guy that just left Adele Adeyi. I'm trying to remember who's Texas have coming in this 20. You got Terrence Cooks, Terrence Cooks, and Maurice Blackwell. Yeah, no, that thumper is without a doubt. It's Mitchell. That's easy. Yep, I, I completely agree. I think Mitchell's your guy in the middle who's coming up front and is trying to fill your holes. I'm interested Whoa. to see how that plays out because he has been known to be baited quite a bit when it comes to filling gaps. But Whoa. what? Nothing. Get your mind out of the gutter, Darius. Get your mind out of the gutter. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see what – Juwan Mitchell and how he can take to that role. Let's go ahead and look at the secondary now. And you were talking about moving Deshaun Jameson in as a nickelback earlier in the show, but it seems like what Kwiatkowski enjoys out on the edges on the outside cornerbacks is to play more conservative coverage concepts, which means you likely want a guy who can play sticky coverage in all situations. So that's a guy who is not lanky, not slow. You want a quick guy who can stick in the hip pocket. So you have a Josh Thompson or Deshaun Jameson or a Darian Dunn. That's what I would be expecting out wide. I'm not expecting any more changes out wide except for Darian Dunn being a guy coming in and probably seeing immediate playing time. No, Dunn's a guy I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, he's got, again, he's got the verified size and speed and experience. He's got a chance. We talk about these coaches having a chance to raise their stock. Um, he's got a chance to play his way into being, you know, being a draft pick. No, if you're looking for the guy, the quick guy, um, Deshaun Jameson fits that to a T. Um, Deshaun Jameson gets himself in trouble because he's also the guy that's going to have his eyes in the backfield trying to jump routes. There's a reason Jalen Green is transferring, right? Right. So um, Texas has some talent at that cornerback position, and um, they're going to be able to do – they're going to have some guys that can do pretty much anything they ask them to do from a physical standpoint. However, on the other side of that, I think you could move Deshaun Jamison inside of that slot cornerback. I would love to see it. I, I want to see it. I do. Because short area agility is what you need in this defense. A guy who is can work off coverage but also has the phys- physicality to engage – screen blocking and make tackles in traffic. So either him, Josh Thompson, or Chris Adamora. I'm interested in seeing if Chris Adamora can work as your nickelback in this team. I'm interested to see if he has the agility in a phone booth to be able to work against slots like what he did last year. Yeah, I don't know. And I just when I picture nickel corners, I'm picturing guys, you know, in that 
you know, five ten, five eleven, six foot range with those with the jackhammer feet, you know, the swivel hips, the quick guys, the little twitchy guys. Tyron you know, Matthews. I think yeah, Tyron Matthews is a different kind of it's hard to you can't really put him in a box, but like, you know, I, I feel like Keaton Crawford, Jade Barron, I feel like they would be guys that would be, you know, you mean thinking nickel covering yeah. slots like like Hollywood Brown, like, you know, like um Alcoma's about to have with Mario Williams. You would think, but I have I've yet to see it in the last three to four years. You know, with the Texas, with, regardless of the defensive coordinator, whether it's Orlando or Ash or uh, Vance Bedford, I, I haven't the, the the short, quicker guys. We don't see them get played in the slot like I, like I see it in the NFL on Sundays at Texas. So it'll be interesting to see if that were to change. But I would think those guys would be the candidates. I'm going to keep an eye on who plays what in this cornerback room because that nickel position in a nickel based defense is going to be very important. That's where you put your best guy in this defense. That or your free safety. And speaking about the free safety, more traditionally, that's what would be called a strong safety. It's the guy who has the ability to play basically everywhere. He's your deep safety. He can also be your blitzing edge rusher. The ability to cover a seam-busting tight end or can work off in zone blitz or set the edge against runs and blow up underneath passes. To me, that screams either B.J. Foster or Chris Adamora. Uh, you said something about covering, going back and covering a bunch of ground and coverage. That that eliminates B.J. Foster for me. Um, I'm thinking you're talking about a, a just versatility, multiple. Yeah, Adamora comes to mind. Um, Jaron Thompson possibly comes to mind. They kind of fit that in-between type of hybrid type of role that sounds like you're looking for there. But, yeah, Adamora and um, Jaron Thompson come to mind for me there at that spot. I think if you put Adam Moore in that position, that's an easy way to get one of your better players on the field in a position that works for him. And then the last guy is your rover safety. He's the guy who, in a cover one, as a deep, your deep guy, he's the guy who you put back 15 yards off the ball and or 20 yards off the ball and let him use his instincts and use his ability to read the play to either make a play deep or come up. He's a guy who you play in between the hashes, so he needs to be a guy who can read the defense. Who are you putting on the field there? I think if you want to get your best guy on the field, B.J. Foster did a decent job at that, but Jaron Thompson sounds like a guy who fits that role better. I don't know. You're talking about a guy that's pretty much just playing center field back there. It would have fit Caden Stearns well. That's what he does well. That's his that's his. It would have fit Caden Stearns very well. I feel like Jalen Green could have been pretty good at that, but he wants to play corner. Um, there's not a mm-hmm. immediate glaring big big red stamp like this guy right here for me when you talk about that position on the Texas in the Texas secondary. Xavier Alford left. Montrell Estelle, no. Uh, well, I don't – who's coming in? Maybe a guy like J.D. Coffey could maybe do it and a true freshman could maybe come in and turn some heads early in Lee. I don't have a clear standout answer for that position right there. I'm, I'm interested to see who would be the guy um, playing center field for Texas, who that guy is. I don't I don't have a, an answer right now. Maybe a guy like Tyler Owens, p- perhaps? We're, we're instincts, instincts. Yeah, it's difficult. You're right. You're right, yeah. There's not a lot there for you to really work with. And, again, yeah, you're right. Well, we'll see who's your center fielder there. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a, a hard spot to fill for Kwiatkowski. Speaking of filling spots, let's go ahead and talk about recruiting and finish off here with a little bit of recruiting news. Eric Gray from Tennessee put his name into the transfer portal. 
He's being looked at by a lot of different places and potentially at Texas, where he just visited, to be a guy who replaces Keontae Ingram, who put his name into the transfer portal. What do you think about Eric Gray at Texas versus what they have in Rashawn Johnson and what they lost with Keontae Ingram? And is he a good compliment to Rashawn Johnson and B. John Robinson? Uh, I think Gray uh, from Tennessee would, um, I think, Clearly, he would be the replacement for Ingram because um, Texas was recruiting um, L.J. Johnson back when Ingram was still the starter. So it wouldn't make sense for it to be an either-or situation. But Gray, um, he's a guy that ran for 700 yards in the SEC this past season um, as a what, as a redshirt freshman. On a bad team. Yeah, on, on a poor team. And they used him. He's a guy that's a talented receiver out of the backfield. He looks like a poor man's. Don't let me don't let me overstate it. He's not Alvin Kamara, but I mean the way he was used, that type of skill set, um, he 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 possesses. Um, I think he would come in and immediately be the second best back on the roster. I think he's a, um, I think he's a more talented player than Roshan Johnson. I don't really think it's close, and I think he would be a tremendous compliment to Bijan. And um, you know, I think you could even have those guys on the field at the same time if you wanted to, just because Gray is so versatile. But, um, no, Texas, to be able to get that type of guy that's a veteran, um, another body in the running back room, because, again, nobody takes more hits on the field than those running backs do in camp um, and practice and during the game. You got to, you know, Texas doesn't have a whole lot of bodies. If something were to happen to B. John, well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not excited about Roshan being a feature guy. We want, Jonathan Brooks is an unknown coming from, you know, small town 2A, 3A program that he's coming from. Um, if Texas were to get L.J. Johnson, that would be great, but that's still another true freshman. So, Gray would add experience and depth to a running back room. And I think that room will go from being, you know, feeling good about it with Bijan to feeling great about it with, with Bijan, Gray, and Roshan. Right. And you also look at him as a pass-catching running back. Yes, absolutely. Uh, last year he had 30 receptions for 254 yards, averaging 8.5 yards. He's got natural hands. You look at Steve Sarkeesian's offense, and he says the most underused wide receiver on the field is your running back. If you can sell – Eric Gray, if he likes catching the ball and he has the hands to do it out of the backfield, then that's a selling point right there for Eric Gray. I'm sure they definitely gave him the sell there on that. So I'm going to be interested to see who he chooses because Oklahoma is also very much after him because they are lo- they lost their running backs. And like as you said, if he does choose Texas, he would be a great complement and a backup plan to a position that oftentimes gets hurt. Yeah. The next thing we've got, the next little note for recruiting we have is David Abiara announcing on signing day. Darius, tell me who David Abiara is and why Texas fans want him and how you feel. David Abiara is a defensive end from Mansfield, Texas. I believe he went to Mansfield Legacy High School. At one point, he was committed to um, Oklahoma. Then he was committed to Notre Dame. Um, then he was supposed to flip back to Oklahoma. That didn't happen. Then some things happened um, off the field, and he ended up decommitting from Notre Dame. And He's been under the radar for the past few months. But um, he recently popped back up on social media talking about it being re-offered by Texas. Bo Davis offered him. Um, he's announcing on signing day, and I, we have reasons to believe that ABR is probably going to be a part of this Texas class. And um, he's a kid that's about six foot four right now, about two hundred and fifty pounds. He's going to eventually be in that two seventy, two hundred eighty pound range, and he'll have inside outside versatility. But um, he's a big athlete. I think he ends up being more of a falling in that in that role with Collins and Brutton that than that pure edge rusher kind of guy yeah i think so not with his body type um but but again you can never have too many quality bodies on that defensive front talented big guys you can never have too many of them and he's one of them so then garfield lawrence was another guy you were talking about 
before, or actually right after National Signing Day, he was the guy you said Texas probably missed on uh, a guy who they should have taken a look at and would, would hurt. Well, now they actually are taking a look at him. So good call on that one. He was on campus this past week. What do you think about him? Tell me what you think about him, why you want him, and what do you think about him going to Texas? Garfield Lawrence is from Tyler, Texas. He attends Legacy High School, formerly Tyler Lee. He's another kid, kind of built like IBR. He's about six foot four. He's not as thick. He's probably in the two hundred and right now at this stage, two hundred and thirty, two hundred and thirty-five pound range. Well, I think ABR is more of a, a, a future tackle kind of guy, inside outside kind of guy. Garfield Lawrence, in my opinion, is a potential jack. He's got that pop. He's got that. Um, he's got that swivel at his hips and ability to bend. Um, if you watch his huddle, he watches highlight tapes. You'll see a guy that um. Kansas almost got themselves a steal. He's been out there playing in East Texas. Um, we've been having, you know, been under, been with this pandemic, so you haven't been able to get out there and see a lot of those guys out there in East Texas. Um, Garfield Lawrence, I think, has a chance to be a really good player. Um, if he gets into a program and has time to develop his body, he could be a guy that that ends up being a multi-year starter and a a plus player in the Big Twelve, in my opinion. I'm excited about Garfield Lawrence. So if Texas can close their defensive uh line class with ABR and Lawrence. That's pretty damn good from a Texas standpoint, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially with Jatavian Sanders now supposed to be starting on offense, which I think makes room for both of those guys now instead of just taking one. The last guy, the last little note we have in recruiting is Evan Stewart. He has announced that his recruitment is closed and he will be announcing his commitment. He's made a commitment. You know, obviously everybody's asking, where is he going? Where is he going? We feel pretty good about him ending up in the burnt orange. Darius, tell me a little bit about a Darius Stewart. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Evan Stewart. What Longhorn fans should be watching for in his tape, and and what makes him so sought after? Uh, Evan Stewart is a composite, um, which was, means all the big ranking sites, rivals, twenty four seven, ESPN together, average together. He's a composite five star prospect, national top five wide receiver from a uh, Frisco. Legacy High School um, is probably, what, how far is Frisco? Frisco from here, Frisco is probably about 25 minutes from downtown Dallas going north. Stewart is electric. Um, he's about 5'11", probably 5'11", but he's he's long, he's rangy. Will, he's got the ability to play inside or outside wide receiver. I think he watched a guy like Devontae Smith win the Heisman this year and how he was used. Um, you know Sarkeesian is in his ear telling him he's the next Devontae Smith. He can win him a Heisman and things like that. Stewart's big time. He's a guy that can um you can use him on reverses, on, on jet sweeps. You can just throw the ball out to him on bubbles, quick game, quick screens. He's able to make guys miss and take it to the house, and he's got the speed to take the top off of a defense. Um, he's a big time player. I currently have him ranked 19th in the state. I am behind eight ball on Stewart. I've been slow to give him his praise. I've seen him work out. He's he's tremendous. Um, going through the drills and stuff like that. But I personally um, want to see it transfer a little bit more into game situations. But um, Stewart's got a lot of buzz nationally. He's got offers from everybody. Um, he would generate a lot of positive momentum for Texas if Texas is indeed the choice. But what we're hearing is um, Texas might have just landed them a five-star wide receiver. And on top of that, after they got Armani Winfield, who's one of the other top guys in the state. Absolutely. Yeah, this wide receiver class – in a class that you were, you needed wide receivers. You needed to land some wide receivers. And man, Stewart's from DFW. Winsfield's from DFW. It's like, man, if I was a top-rated quarterback from the DFW area, man, that would be a little enticing, you know? Yeah, maybe. It might be something that perks your ears up. 
towards Texas's way, especially if, you know, you had committed there earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, it should be interesting and fun to watch what happens there for Longhorn fans. We'll, we'll see what happens, right? On that note, though, thank y'all for listening. We'll end off there. This has been 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. My man, DT, where can we find you? Y'all can find me on Twitter as well, D-T-E-R-R-E-L-L-0-5. Hit me up. Got any questions, I'd love to chop it up with you. Thank y'all for listening. Yeah, go ahead and give us your thoughts on the show, questions, comments, whatever, whether that's on TFB, where you can find our writing, on Twitter, where you guys can find both of us we just talked about, Reddit as well, where you can find me most of the time. Anywhere you can find us, go ahead and let us know what you think about the show. Let us know what your questions are. We're happy enough to answer them. On that note, y'all, thank y'all for listening. We'll see y'all next week. Hook them. Hook them.